Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, great to see you this 4th of July. I guess kind of like the 4th of July weekend, right in between here, between this one and, and next. But we are in a series of messages and we're talking about the work and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I want to begin today by simply making a statement that the Bible is progressive revelation, which means the farther along you get in the Bible, the more truth God is going to reveal about any particular subject. But way back in the book of Job, which although it's not the first book in your Bible or the second, it's actually believed to have been the first book that was written of the Bible. In the 32nd chapter, in the eighth verse, it says, but there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. In the New Testament, it gives us more light and it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are a spirit. You have a soul or a mind and you live inside of a body. That is what the Bible teaches and it really helps us in our spiritual life if we think that way. I am a spirit. And it says the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. The breath of the Almighty is the Holy Spirit. And that's where understanding comes from. Now, somebody can talk to you and give you information. But that information is really something that happens in the mental realm. But what God's spirit does is he brings revelation. And revelation will change your life. Revelation is spiritual and it's life-changing. In John 4, Jesus said, God is a spirit. Now, we just read in 1 Thessalonians that you're a spirit. Now, you are not God and you will never be God, but you are the same type of a being that God is. And because God is a spirit and you're a spirit, when God communicates with you, God communicates spirit to spirit. God doesn't communicate with your brain. God doesn't communicate with your flesh. He communicates with your spirit. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. In other words, when God enlightens you, when he illuminates you, he does it in your spirit. It is the spirit of man. That's the candle of the Lord. And that's one of the reasons it's so important that we understand that we are a spirit. In fact, Jesus said, God's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Because you have a body, there are, you, you can move in the physical realm. Because you have a soul or a mind, you can move in the mental realm. But when you're dealing with God, it's going to be in the spiritual realm. They that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we are living in the last days. Some of you realize that. We're living in the last days. And Joel specifically prophesied about these days. And he says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit of all, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
and also on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. So God is saying in these last days, there's going to be a great outpouring, moving of the spirit of God. Notice there's going to be prophecies, there's going to be dreams, there's going to be visions, spiritual things. In fact, Father, we pray right now and we just say, Holy Spirit, come, invade our lives. Father, change the direction. Lord, let our purpose be accomplished by the power of your spirit. Now, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he is the teacher. Jesus mentions this when he talks about sending the comforter. But in 1 John chapter 2, it says this, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. The Holy Spirit is talking, is being referred to here as the anointing. And it says he abides in you. Uh, I think we've all seen the signs, you know, on the side of the road at night that go on and off trying to get your attention. Sale here, 20% off. No payments for three years, you know, whatever. Boom, on, off, on, off. Some people think salvation is like that. That they're saved and they're lost and they're saved and they're lost and they're saved and they're lost and they're saved and they're lost. Every time they do something wrong, they think they've got to get saved again. No, he abides in you. You don't need anyone to teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Now, somebody can hear that and say, wow, there it says I don't need any teachers. But how many of you know Jesus is not confused? And it says in Ephesians 4, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So there is a place for teachers, but let me talk to you, read the rest of this verse and explain exactly what is happening here. Teach you concerning all things, it's true, it's not a lie, but just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher on the inside. He's the one that brings revelation. You know, you're listening to somebody preach. You're, you're listening to, uh, let's just say you're, you're watching a podcast, you know, and somebody's preaching. On the inside, something is talking to you. It's the anointing. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's going, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. And if it's not my podcast, he might say, and that's not right. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit confirms. He's teaching you. He's saying, that's right, that's right. That's right. Now, now notice it says, as he teaches you, abide in him. That's how you live your Christian life. Now, one of the things about this is because the Holy Spirit does not shout. He comes with a still small voice. We can be so busy. We can be so stressed out. We don't hear. In fact, it's interesting. We can make up our mind beforehand about something. And because we make up our mind beforehand, we will not hear what the Spirit is saying. I have had people get so mad at me talking something that is absolute Bible truth. And they're saved, but they've already made up their mind about something. And because of that, they don't receive it. One of the places where the Holy Spirit and his manifestations are talked about the most is in the book of Corinthians, chapter 12. 13 and 14. In fact, in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it talks about nine different manifestations of the Spirit of God. And it says, and he, the Spirit, gives to each one 
individually as he wills. Their spiritual gifts. And the chapter ends, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. It's a more excellent way to move in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody knows that. If you ever go to a, a wedding, a Christian wedding, usually they read about the, the love chapter. They take a portion, usually verses 4 through 8, and they read those verses about love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't demand its own way. So that whole chapter is about love. And then it, uh, the chapter ends and says, now abide these three faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And then the next chapter, back on gifts and the manifestation and work of the Holy Spirit, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, here's what he's telling us. He's telling us that the way to have the work of the Spirit in our lives and the gifts of the Spirit in our lives is to pursue love. God is Love. He's love. Now, when the, when the Spirit of God moves on us, the love of God on the inside of us begins to manifest. It says in Romans 5, verse 5, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Other translations say the love of God has been spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit who, he's, who he has given us. So we have the love of God on the inside. All through the New Testament, you read about Jesus, and this is what it will say. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion, or literally moved by love. For example, in Mark chapter 1, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down before him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion or moved with love, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Every Christian, the Bible says, has the love of God shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Spirit. And there's times when that love of God will begin to rise up. Uh, you, you might be praying for somebody. You, you might be talking with somebody. You might be, be just thinking about somebody. And all of a sudden, this like this compassion this love will just come over you. I know I've had it at times where I'll just literally begin to cry as I'm praying for somebody or thinking about somebody. And what that is, is it's the compassion of the Lord. It's the love of God. And the Bible says that is the way. When you flow with that love, that's what brings the power and the manifestation of the Spirit of God. So when that happens, you know, you, you feel that love just rise up on the inside of you. Uh, if you can, talk to the person, pray with the person, call the person, email, do something. The Bible says follow, pursue that love. That's God leading you and wanting to use you in a way the Holy Spirit wants to use you to minister and to help and to bless, to bring deliverance, to bring something into that person's life. Now the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I remember years ago listening to an evangelist and he was actually preaching from 1 John where it says anyone who hates his brother, it says the love of God does not abide in him. 
Well, he was at a particular church and the, the pastor and his wife asked him to go out to eat after he preached. And, and you may know this, you may not, but it does not matter if you're in Asia, Africa, South America, I don't care where you go. There is a Christian tradition. First you preach, then you eat. So he preaches, they go out to have something to eat. And, and the pastor's wife says to them, she says, uh, you know, you said that if you hate somebody, God's love isn't in you and you're not right with God. And she said, well, I hate my mother-in-law. And he said, well, if you hate your mother-in-law, then the life of God's not in you. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say that. He said, the Bible says that. And she said, well, I hate my mother-in-law. He said, I want you to look, look at me right here. Be quiet and just look at me. And I want you to tell me that you hate your mother-in-law. And she says, I hate my mother-in-law. And he says, well, what's happening down here? Because the, the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart, in your spirit. And she says, well, on the inside, something's like scratching me. He says, well, that's the love of God. He says, what you're doing is you are listening to your flesh. You're listening to your soul. They said, but the love of God is in your heart. See, the Bible says this in Ephesians. It says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In other words, if you will listen and live out of your spirit, you won't go the way of the world. You won't follow the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so he said, I just want you to go and, you know, let me know how this goes. But you really don't hate your mother-in-law. Well, a few weeks later, she was with her mother-in-law, came back and said, you know, you're absolutely right. She said, I had just taken some things that she had said and done and blown them out of proportion. And the truth is, I really do love my mother-in-law. That love of God. How many of you know you can hate sin, but not the sinner? Do you hate the sin, but you love the person? The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the mistakes that, that we often make as Christians is we think because I'm a Christian and I love God, I mean, I worship God, I, I pray, I read my Bible, I shouldn't have any trouble in my life. But that is not true at all. In fact, when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes on him, Matthew 4 says this, verse, verse 1, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The first thing the Holy Spirit did was led Jesus to be tempted to confront the devil. Somebody has said to me, well, I never, you know, have any problems at all in my life. And I'm like, well, you must not be doing anything to make the devil upset. You're just kind of floating along. He probably figures you're already in his camp. No, no need, no need. In Acts 16 in, in verse 6, Paul and his team are out and they're, they're preaching the gospel. And it says, and they came to the region of Galatia and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia st 
stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So often what Christians do is we're waiting for something spectacular. Notice it says he had a vision in the night. We call that a dream, by the way. And in a dream, he sees somebody from Macedonia saying, come and help us. But notice that first of all, they tried to go to Asia, but the spirit didn't permit them. They were forbidden by the spirit. Then they tried to go to Bithynia and the spirit didn't permit them. They were not just sitting back saying, oh God, what do you want me to do? They were doing something. Jesus had already said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so they were going. See, here's what most Christians do. Most Christians, wherever they are in life, they assume they have a red light. And they're waiting for God to show them to do something. But the truth is, you have a green light. Start moving. Start doing something. And if you're moving in the wrong direction, then God gives you a red light. See, they weren't waiting. They tried to go to Asia. They tried to go to Bithynia. And then God gave them direction. Where most Christians sit back and think, well, I've just got a red light and I'm just waiting. No, they didn't assume that they had a red light. They assumed they had a green light. And then when they were moving in the wrong direction, then God did something to stop them. Being led by the Spirit is like riding a bicycle. How many have ridden bicycles? How many of you know it's really hard to steer a bicycle when it's not moving? But once it's moving, you can steer it where you need it to go. God will get you where you need to go when you start moving, when you start doing something. Don't assume you have a red light. Assume the apostles assumed they had a green light. And then when they were moving in the direction that God didn't want them to go, then he stopped them. The vision said, come over here and help us. They get there and in a very short time, they're in prison. They're beaten. Were they in the will of God? Yes, they were. They were right in the middle of God's will. But yet they're thrown in prison. They're beaten. They're in a dungeon. And most Christians think, well, man, if I'm in the will of God, I shouldn't have any trouble. No, 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 no. When you're in the will of God, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's going to be here. So don't think that because there's problems, you're out of the will of God. That, is, that should not be the way to determine if you're in the will of God or not. And we will get to that sometime in the middle of this. Now, notice the Spirit didn't permit them. I think that's very interesting. Jeannie and I lived in Mexico during the late 70s and the early 80s. Towards the end of that time, we were living in the city of Guadalajara. I was teaching in a Bible school, and we were helping a couple, Chuy and Vicky Olivares, start a church. In fact, church was uh, probably six months old, probably about 400, 450 people in the church. And I would preach for him almost every week, one of the services. They had like four services every week. And I wasn't praying particularly about him, but we knew we were going to be leaving Mexico in just a couple of months. And uh, we had bought a piece of property out in Allendale area. 
And I had actually, Jeannie and I had signed a contract with a builder. He was going to rough in a house for us uh, when we got back. And we were planning on paying him when we got back. And the way we were going to pay him was we were going to sell Jeannie's car. If you saw the car, you might not think it was a great car. But back at that time in Mexico, cars were like buying houses. Uh, a new LTD, Ford LTD, which wasn't that fancy of a car. It was $50,000 American. And she had a pretty nice car. And so we were going to sell the car and give the, the, the builder that money. And that was our way to pay for it. And that was our, you understand, that was our only way to pay for it. So I'm, I'm just studying and praying and just fellowship and talking with the Lord. And I get this thought because Vicki and Chewy don't have a car. And they're pastoring the church and they just have to take a bus. I get this thought like, give Vicki and Chewy the car. And I went, I rebuke you, Satan, because I knew that couldn't be God. Um, but the thought didn't go away. It, it, it just kept coming and kept coming and over a period of a couple of weeks. And, and so I very carefully explained to the Lord Jesus why we could not do that. And you say, well, what did you do? Well, he didn't listen, but I put up the car for sale. Because I'm like, look, we gave our word. We've got to do this. And, and you would have thought that our car had some sort of a plague because nobody even wanted to look at our car. And so you say, what did you do? I prayed and then I dropped the price. And nobody would still look at our car. So it was a Thursday night and I was preaching for Pastor Chewy. And I got there early and, and uh, I was walking in front of the altar and, and I was just praying about the service. And I said, Lord, you know, at the end of the service, we're going to give an invitation for people to receive the Lord. And I pray that the Spirit of God would draw people because no one comes to the Father except the Spirit draw them. And, and I'm praying and, you know, you talk to God, then you're quiet to just see if you get an impression. And so I, I explained what we're going to do to the Lord and said, Lord, I want you to move. And, and, and I waited and, and I just distinctly just heard the Lord just say, well, and the car. And I didn't really want to talk about the car. So I said, and Lord, at the end of the service, you know, we're going to have an invitation to pray for the sick. And, you know, you say lay hands on the sick and they recover, that he himself bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases. And we pray, Father, that you would just manifest yourself today, that people would be healed, their bodies would be touched. And, you know, and I'm quiet. And then the, the Lord said the same. He said, and the car, which I did not want to talk about. And, then, and, and I remember this so clearly. I, I remember saying to God, I said, God, you have me cornered, and this is not fair. This is not fair because if I don't surrender, this is going to be the worst church service in the history of Christianity because you're not going to do anything. And so I, I just said, okay. I, say, I said, God, when this service is over, you know, Chewy will take me out to eat because that's what you always do after you preach. I said, and uh, when we go, I'll tell him we're going to give him the car. So I surrendered and, and we had a great service. And after this service, we're, we're walking on the sidewalk, going over to my car. And Chewy said, hey, let's go out and let's go have some tacos. In fact, he said, let's go have tacos de lingua. Cauchong tacos. Best tacos ever. If you've never had cow tongue, you've missed half your life. And so I said, Chewy, I said, uh, you know my, my wife's car? 
the blue one. He says, oh, you mean the one with the shiny wheels? And I says, yeah, that's the one. I said, uh, you know, we're going to leave in just a couple weeks. And when we leave, we're going to give you and Vicky that car so that you've got a car to get around. You don't need to take bus. And, and he stopped. And he went, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he turned to me and he said, I've known that for six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'd known about six weeks myself. <laughs> Now, here's what was funny. Afterwards, Jeannie told me to tell this. Afterwards, it seemed like we had the only car for sale in all of Guadalajara. Everybody wanted the car. And the money that we needed that there was no way we could get other than that, to this day, we don't know how it all happened, but we had everything that we needed. Everything that we needed. How many of you know when, when God guides, he does provide? You know, when he, when he tells you to do something, he's got something better in mind. So they were in the middle of the will of God and quickly found themselves in prison. Now, there, there is a, a, a small book, not really super small, but a book in the Bible called Nehemiah. The name Nehemiah means comforter. And he really is a type of the Holy Spirit. And he goes to Jerusalem with the distinct pur purpose of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it's really a picture of the Holy Spirit rebuilding the walls in our broken lives and building the kingdom of God. But it says this, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the swords, the bows, the whole armor and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah and those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and in the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And when they sounded the trumpet, which was besides me, everyone would come running. Now they're building the walls, but in one hand they've got a sword and in the other hand they're building. That really is a picture of the Christian life. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. What he's saying, he's saying the Christian life, it's a fight from the womb to the tomb. As a believer, you are going to be in spiritual warfare. And so often we just want to float along and just see what happens. But that is not at all the picture that we find in the Bible of the Christian life. It's like a mailman who's supposed to deliver mail. But he finds that there's a pit bull, somebody's house, on the street. And so instead of delivering mail, he gets a bat, he gets maize, he gets a big outfit on so that it's attacked by the dog. The dog can't hurt him. And he walks up and down the street looking for the dog. How many of you know the mailman's purpose is not look for the dog? It's deliver the mail. And sometimes Christians, we get off focus. All we're doing is looking for the devil everywhere. Well, when he shows up, deal with him. But that is not our purpose. Our purpose is to build the kingdom. So the mailman, maybe he needs to carry some maize, but he needs to deliver the mail. And for us, 
sure, there's opposition, and we're going to stand against the opposition, but our purpose is to build the kingdom of God. Fight the good fight of faith. And let me just conclude by mentioning some of the weapons that we've been given to fight that fight. First of all is the Word of God. Every time Satan came and tempted Jesus, Jesus said the same thing, it is written, it is written, it is written. It is called the sword of the Spirit. It is the only piece of, how would we say it, aggressive armor that we have. Offensive armor is the sword of the Spirit. Secondly, there is the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from the vain tradition received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. The blood of Jesus is what redeemed you. It took you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. In Colossians, one translation says it like this, that he has taken us out of the jailhouse of darkness and turned us loose into the new world of the son of his love. You see, because we've been taken out from under Satan's domain, everything that has a part of, is a part of that domain does not belong in our lives. In the Old Testament, they would bring the priest to the temple. And the Bible says they put blood on his right earlobe and blood on his right thumb and blood on his right toe. And then they took oil, the Holy Spirit. They applied the oil on top of the blood on his ear, on top of the blood on his thumb, on top of the blood on his foot. The blood was there so everything you hear, everything you touch, and every place you go is under the blood. But the oil is there representing the Holy Spirit to let you know that everything that you hear, everything that you do, and every place that you go, the Holy Spirit is there to anoint you and to deliver you. The name of Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus has been given a name above every name. He's been highly exalted that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. In three worlds, Jesus' name demands attention. In heaven, and on earth, and in the demonic realm. All three worlds. His name is above every name. Now, I want to ask a question, and this is not a, to be a, a trick question, but it's just to help us grab hold of this. What is the great commandment? What is his commandment? Don't shout it out, but just in your mind, what is his commandment? Now, the answer is found in 1 John 3, verse 23. It says, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, even as he gave us commandment. There is one commandment with two parts. One part is to believe in the name. Literally, that Jesus gave the church his name. He gave us power of attorney to use his name. That's why in the book of Acts and all through the epistles, you find that the name of Jesus is exalted, that they would confront the enemy, demonic spirits in the name of Jesus. That in, in uh, Acts chapter 3, that, that cripple that's there at the beautiful gate in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, that, that, that 
affliction had to bow and he was healed in Jesus name. So the commandment is one with two parts. Believe in the name. Believe in the name. Now there is a difference between believing in the person and believing in the name. When Jeannie and I got married, she took my name. And the next day, she could go to the bank and get all the money I had, right? But she couldn't go, hey, hey, this is, Je- this is Jeannie Applegarth. Now she had to use that new name that had been given to her. She had to be Jeannie Vanderklok. So often we have faith in Jesus, but we don't have faith in his name. He has given you his name to use. He has given you the power of attorney. That's why the Bible says to believe in the name of his son. And then other weapons that we have praise. Jesus said it, said it, he actually quoted Psalms 8 and verse 2. It says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained praise ordained strength. Jesus said perfected praise, perfected praise because of your enemy that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Literally, Jesus is saying that when you and I begin to praise God, it is a spiritual weapon that silences the enemy, the devil and the avenger. When Hezekiah was confronted with with three armies coming at him, he put the choir in front and sent them to fight the battle. And they begin to sing and says, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. When they begin to praise God, the Bible says God smote the enemy. They didn't even need to fight the battle. Praise is a weapon. And then lastly, our confession. Revelation 12, verse 11, and they, that's us. Overcome him, that's the devil and everything he brings. By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Your testimony, your confession. Romans 10, 8. But what does faith say? The word is near you. The word of salvation, the word of deliverance, the word of victory, the word of healing. It's near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.